Well, good morning, church. So glad that you're here this morning, and uh, we're excited that you're here this morning because we are a church that is growing to know, love, and live Jesus, and we wish that uh, for every person that they could just know Jesus, love Jesus, and learn to live for Jesus. So we're glad you're on that faith journey with us this morning. And uh, here at Oakwood, we set, a, set apart this time of our service every week to hear from the Word of God. And we're going to be in Daniel 4 today. So if you brought your Bible, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 4. And as always, you're welcome to use your phone or your tablet, your iPad, whatever. If you download the uh, Oakwood app and go to Sermon Notes, all the scriptures and all the notes will be there for you uh, this morning. Again, we just want you to engage the Word of God and hear from Him this morning. Uh, just to echo one thing that... Uh, Dalton touched on just a second ago is this Wednesday night we have a really unique opportunity. We have Dr. Gary Johnson. He is with E2 Effective Elders, and he will be bringing a presentation here in the sanctuary, 6.30 p.m. this Wednesday night. Now, what he's going to be talking, he's going to be casting a vision of Acts chapter 6, and what does it mean to be a leader in the kingdom of God? And uh, when he came, he's coming actually to work with our elders and our staff and do some leadership training with us. And when, when he was scheduled in the middle of the week, he said, do you guys do anything on Wednesday nights? I said, yes, we do. We do growth groups and adult discipleship, kid discipleship, teen discipleship. I said, Wednesday night's kind of discipleship night. And he said, I would love the opportunity to speak to them if, if you have a, a gathering space and we could get um, all the adults together. And I said, hey, we can do that. So if you're in a growth group on Wednesday night, we want you in here. But even if you're not, maybe your group meets tonight or this week, or maybe you're not in a growth group at all and you're like, hey, I want to hear about what does it mean for me to be a leader in the kingdom of God. You will love this, this guy. He speaks all over the country at conferences. He's a great speaker, and he's really going to bring it Wednesday night. So Wednesday night, 630, right here in the sanctuary, I invite you to be here and be a part of that. We've been in this series on Daniel, and we have been studying how do we stand up? How do we stand up for what is right? How do we stand up for what is good? How do we stand up for the things of God in a bowed-down world. When the world around us says, hey, you need a bout of this and you need a bout of that, and the culture is coming against us and the culture is constantly bombarding us with, with negative things and things that take us away from God and ideas on how to live your life that is absent from the word of God. It's not the blessed life. It's the horrid life. It's the messed up life. It's this life that's full of sin and the consequences of sin. And the world's bombarding us with all those messages and trying to take us the way of Babylon, right? Trying to take us the way of the world, trying to make us all pagans. What do Christians do and how do we stand up in a bowed down world and how do we do that in such a way? Now think about this. How do you do that in such a way that you don't alienate the people that are trying to pull us the wrong direction? Those people are the people we're supposed to be reaching for Christ. So how do we stand up but not alienate those we're trying to reach? You see, it's this delicate balance. And what's awesome about God's word is in the book of Daniel, in the middle of the Old Testament, there's this, this book that kind of tells us how they did this. It, it, the Jews were exiles. They were pulled into Babylon. And, and they were uh, to be reconditioned and reprogrammed to be like the Babylonian culture. But these are God's chosen people, the Israelites. And, and so there's this tension there throughout this book. And we get as a model for us to see how Daniel and some of his friends, how they live and stay true to God, even while they're in exile in Babylon. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm in exile here in the United States of America, right? It just feels that way today. And so we're going to continue studying in Daniel chapter 4 today. And so let's begin Daniel chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. 
It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, and I like to refer to him as Neb, just to save a few syllables there. So King Nebuchadnezzar, Neb, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all of the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, are you kind of like me, like, whoa, do we have a conversion? <laughs> this is King Neb, prideful, boastful, I built all this myself, I'm mighty. The one that's had this most high battle for the first three chapters of this book where we've seen this tension between him being the most high and not able to bend his knee to the God who is the most high. That he's, he's setting up his own kingdom and he's a self-made king and he's, he's the man of Babylon and yet he's supposed to be bowing a knee to the most high God that is over everything in the world including Babylon. It just introduces us to this issue that we seem to have sometimes as humans. It's called pride. Pride. Pride sometimes, I think, keeps us away from God. And, and, and we read throughout Daniel already, and we understand, you're going to see even more today, is that Neb wants to be the most high. Neb wants to be on the throne. Neb wants to be center and most high and the main thing. In fact, what happened last week? Do you remember the story of the fiery furnace? He built, he erected a statue unto himself and wanted everyone to bow down and worship him. You say, wow, this guy was really full of himself. And yet sometimes I don't think we successfully acknowledge that we might have the same struggle with some pride in our life. And yet this has been an issue throughout the Bible. Think about it. Let's go back to a time before we open the door to the book of Genesis there was something that had happened in heaven before that. Someone named Lucifer, who we also refer to as Satan or the devil, he got kicked out of heaven. But do you remember why? It's really interesting because Isaiah the prophet in chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, it gives us, it kind of pulls back the curtain and gives us this glimpse of what happened with Lucifer. With Lucifer. Uh, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says this. How you have fallen from heaven. Morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. And if you read on and you understand, there was judgment over him, and he was cast down, thrown out of heaven with a third of the angels with him. A rebellion of God, against God because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be large and in charge. He wanted to be most high. Now, most of us this morning are like, you know what, Pastor, I don't, I don't really struggle with that. I don't go around and expect people to bow down, to kiss my ring. I don't expect worship. I, I, you know, this, it's a little far-fetched to say that I might have a problem with this. But, but wait, what happened in the garden? 
It was Lucifer, Satan, that was in the garden with Eve. God had given them one rule, one guideline for life at that time. Don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you'll be sinning against me and bad things will happen. And what did Lucifer tempt Eve with? The reason, let me let you know, the reason God doesn't want you to have this fruit is because you will be like the most high. See, the temptation was even of pride going all the way back to the garden. The Eve thought for a moment, if I eat this, food, this fruit, I will be like the most high God. And Satan's been selling that lie ever since that, oh, you don't need God. You can be your own God. Self-made person. Sit on your own throne. Establish your own morals and values. Live life on your terms the way that you want to. And for some reason, I feel like in the last 40 to 50 years, that's part of the American dream now. We need God. One nation under God. Well, that, that was good for back then, but, but not for today. And it, we struggle. Here's the truth this morning. Pride is living your life ignoring God. Pride is living your life ignoring God. And I want to tell you this morning it breaks my heart because I think a lot of people live this way. In fact, I would say a lot of Christians, just by the fruit that I'm seeing, I would say live this way. You live like God doesn't exist. Now, for some of you, you're like, wow, that, that's, one, that's one step over the line. I, I, you know, that's not me. I would never say God doesn't exist. Okay, okay. So maybe you would say, okay, God does exist but you are living like he doesn't exist or maybe like he doesn't matter like what he says doesn't matter i'll live my life on my terms my way or maybe he just doesn't mean anything to me i know the whole jesus thing he sent his son and he's a sacrifice and, and he's my only way of hope of eternity to be in heaven with him and but for many He's not the center. He's not, he's not first. He's not the most high in your life. And if we could really be honest, I think if you peeled it back, you would say, you know, really, the problem I have with maybe my pride is that I'm the most high. I know some of you are like, that is, man, he's out there. <laughs> that is not what I struggle but think about it. Just think about your life. Are you living it for God? Are you living it for, for yourself? And yet we get this glimpse, right? We're excited. Daniel 4, first three verses. It seems like Neb's going to get it, right? I mean, he can't say that. Well, let's read on, beginning with verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the, the dream for me. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> We've read this before. Uh, when the mag magicians and the enchanters and the astrologers and the diviners came, I told them the dream. That they could, but they could not interpret it for me. Does this sound familiar? Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar. Check this. After the name of my God, little g God, 
and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Little g gods. It's not there yet. He's not, Neb's not there yet. He thinks that Daniel gets his power from the gods and he's got the spirit of the holy gods is in him, but not the one true God, not the most high God. Why? Because Neb is the most high And don't miss, as he addresses that there at the end of verse 8. And then he has this dream. It's a really weird dream. And just for the sake of time, I'll just kind of tell you what the dream was. It's in the next few verses there. The dream was that uh, there was this tree out in the middle of this field. And it was a huge, strong tree. You know, you picture one of those trees. It's just like a monster tree. It's just it's awesome. It's got this big trunk and it had these huge branches that, that, that bore fruit. And it says that all of the animals and the birds and every living thing was under this tree. And this tree not only provided protection with the shade of its branches and its overarching branches, it wasn't only that. This, this tree also provided food for all that was under it. It provided everything. It was kind of like the tree was kind of like the center, you know? And then all the animals and all the other living creatures all came around this tree. And it was strong and it was prosperous and it was mighty. And then what happened, it says in the scripture that a a holy messenger came down and gave this edict from heaven. He said that the tree is to be cut down. To cut it down, to cut it off right at the base of the tree. Now you're going to leave the stump and you're going to leave the roots in the ground, but we're going to cut the tree. And that'll be significant for meaning later. We're going to cut the tree. We're going to cut down the tree. We're going to saw it into pieces and all of its branches. And any of the fruit that falls off, you can feed to all of those that had come to the tree for nourishment. But then they're to be scattered amongst the earth. And the tree ceases to exist in its strong form. And that's basically what the dream was. There's a strong tree. It's going to be chopped down. This holy one messenger comes. He does say some interesting things. He says that the dew of heaven will drench this this tree. And that this tree will now become a being like one of the animals. Will actually crawl along the ground like the animals. And will eat grass like the ox. And that this will happen and continue to happen until seven times pass by him. It's kind of interesting that, okay, so the tree now has been cut down. It's diminished in its quality and form and its might. It's now an animal. It's going to eat from the grass like the oxen. I mean, it sounds pretty deranged here, and that's what it basically says. The dream basically says that, that this being that is on the ground is, is going to act like an animal and eat like an animal until seven times have passed. Now, the seven times that has passed part, most scholars believe that's seven years. Seven time periods had passed. And then after the seven times had passed, the only way that this would be made right is that this being would know that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and that they would acknowledge that And that God is the one that is large and in charge. And Nebuchadnezzar says, this is my dream. He's talking to Daniel. Now go down to verse 19. It says, then Daniel, now also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. 
Well, Belteshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. You see, Daniel was very concerned. He knew that Neb didn't know the dream, but he knew the outcome. He knew exactly what it meant. And in verse 19, I want you to note that Daniel is very kind and very respectful to a man that all of us know from reading Daniel 1, 2, and 3 could justify contempt for this guy. But again, Daniel is keeping his cool. He's keeping his calm. And we need to remember this, and I've said it before, that Daniel served God in Babylon, and he served Babylon for God. Daniel served God in Babylon. He didn't have a choice. Pushing against, pushing against the culture, pushing against the, the reconditioning that they were trying to do with his mind and his heart. And he served Babylon for God, that everything he did there was going to be for God. And because of that, you find throughout the text, and we've experienced it for the last three weeks, that Daniel cares for Neb because God cares for lost people. God cares for Neb. And Daniel is about to speak to Neb like no one has ever dared to speak to the king of Babylon before. Go to verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty. Look at, look at Daniel, how respectful he is here. He says, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the king. See, Daniel doesn't pull any punches there. He, he calls God the Most High. But he also acknowledges this earthly king as your majesty and my lord, little L lord, my lord the king. Verse 25, Daniel gives him what the dream means. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he pleases. In other words, translation, God is the Most High and God is ultimately in charge, which means you are not. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Can you, can, you, can you feel like everyone's leaning in? What's Daniel going to say? What's the advice? He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. The message here is that this dream doesn't have to come true if you'll renounce your sins, if you'll repent, if you will turn to God and acknowledge God as the Most High. You make a decision whether God is going to be the Most High, Neb, or are you going to be the Most High? And you do this by humbling yourself. He says there to renounce or to repent of your sins. What I love about Daniel is this. This is something that we can learn as Christians. Daniel doesn't stick to general revelation, but he makes specific application. 
Daniel doesn't stick with general revelation. And it's like super generic about the revelation. He's super generic about what he's interpreting and what he's teaching. He makes very specific application. And he tells Neb, you have got to humble yourself before God. And oh, I think sometimes as Christians, we need to be able to do this. Good morning to some of you. <laughs> it's not actually the reason I, I did that with the uh, Fox 40 whistle, believe it or not. And, and I know some of you are tired. That's okay. I did that because what do you think of when you hear the whistle? I think of referees. I think of officiating. Yeah, any of you ever go to a ball game with a whistle? Referee, official. Only three of you have ever been to a ball game? A bunch of liars. Let's try this again. We're in church. No less. How many of you have ever been to a ball game with a whistle, with an official? Okay, all right. Okay, I thought this might resonate more than with three people. I hear the whistle. I see the ref. And if you're like me, you know there are good refs and there are bad refs, right? To me, I love watching youth sports with referees that will do something that not all, all referees will do. A lot of times they'll blow the whistle. All right, we blew the whistle, and it's a foul on this and whatever. And the coach is like, man, I thought that was all, all ball. So I wonder what he thought happened. So they're trying to ask the ref a question. The ref just walks away. I ain't, I ain't talking to you. I'm walk over here. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's the student athlete. Maybe the student athlete's like, hey, you know, can you tell me what happened here? And, 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 you know, the ref doesn't explain it. And, and the ref's like this whistleblower, but he doesn't really get specific into the application of why he blew the whistle. But what I love is those refs, they'll take the extra moment. They'll make the call. They'll go over the scores table. I'm thinking basketball right now because I'm announcing some basketball games, so I'm seeing this all the time. So they go over the scores table. They're like, oh, I got this foul and this number. But I love it when the ref goes back over to that athlete and says, hey, I just want you to know when you went into him, you went into him in the body. That's why I call the foul. So make sure you're straight up next time. All right. I love that because what? It's a specific application now. It's not this general revelation that you got a foul call. Oh, good. But how could I not get a foul call in the, in the future? Specific application. Christians, we are called to do this. To make specific applications of the text of Scripture. And within this body of believers called the family of God that meets at 401 North Oakwood Road, we are called to be able to point these things out to one another. To keep each other from sin and falling away from God so that we are growing toward God. And we do it by making specific applications, by taking the next step and explaining. And sometimes we might even be called to do that to someone that's in authority. Maybe it's our boss at work or maybe it's a teacher at school. But, but listen to this. He does this. Daniel does this in such a humble way, but he makes a very specific application after a very general revelation. And what is the, what is the scariest thing here is when he does this, what is Neb going to do? When I read and studied this, I thought, oh, no. Do you remember what Neb did in chapter 1 when he couldn't get his dream interpreted by the people? He said, kill him. Kill them all. And Daniel's going to deliver bad news on this dream, and what's, what's Neb going to do? I think it stunned Neb, but I think it also got his attention because he didn't kill Daniel and demand that all of the, the court be killed with him. But you also find, sadly, that the message did not take root. Look at verse 29. 
It says 12 months later. Okay, so remember what had just happened in verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Remember what Daniel said respectfully. Repent of your sins. Do what is right. Quit being wicked. Acknowledge God is the most high. And then your prosperity will continue. And this dream doesn't have to, to be a thing. But verse 29, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, verse 30, is not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Wow. You know, God was trying to work plan A. His plan A was send Daniel to Neb, torment Neb with these dreams, send Daniel, tell him what it means, call him to repentance, and hopefully he'll turn to me. But he didn't. And so I want you to know something about God this morning. God always has a plan B. Always has a plan B. When he's pursuing his kids, there's always a plan B. Sometimes plan B, we don't like it. If we just gone with plan A, if we just responded to the message and to the warning, but now we got some consequent, oh, oh, B doesn't work. Oh, God has got a plan C and a plan D and a plan E and a plan F, and God never stops pursuing his kids. And sometimes we got to go through some, some things before we can be reached with the truth of God. God always has a plan B. You don't believe me? Ask Jonah. <laughs> Some of you snicker because you know that story. If you didn't snicker because you don't know that story, it's a very short book in the Old Testament. Read the book of Jonah and understand what happens when we run away from God. God will always pursue us. Let's go to verse 31. So he just said, hey, it's by my might and by my power and by my majesty, verse 31. Even as those words were on his lips, a voice from heaven came down. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and you will live like wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like the ox. I mean, he's, he's a crazy man. He's lost his mind. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Everybody say, ooh, ooh. If you read that, that's gross, man. This guy is insane. Nails like the claws of a bird. When I read that last night, it made me clip my nails before this morning. It seriously did. It's just so gross to me. So anyway, um, I, you know, it's just like, you know, and his hair is like feathers. It's so matted together. It's like feathers. And the dew keeps falling on him every morning as he's just out there in the conditions and he's eating grass. I mean, people are looking at him go, oh, that was King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> High and mighty. Created Babylon. Sad. Man, what happens? Verse 34. At the end of that time, I, now he's talking to us direct now, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then, 
when I was saying, I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Go to verse 36. And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne, and I became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Last verse of chapter 4. Final words. Did you catch that? He finally got it. He acknowledges that God is the most high. At the very end, he says, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Those that think they got it all figured out, those that are living life on their terms, he will humble. Those that are making demands, and I believe that God has not changed today and that he is still pursuing the nebs of the world, sometimes in this very same manner. So two points of application today I want us to get. How can we be like Daniel and join God in saving the nebs of our generation? First thing is this. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love to people. Speak the truth Make specific application instead of general revelation to people and speak the truth in love. Let them know that they're moving away from God. Think about this. Think about this. When you live a life that is God-less, you are living a life that is prideful. When you're living a life that is God-less, you are living a life that is prideful. And remember, pride is living your life like you're ignoring God. I'm just ignoring God. Like, he's just like, it's not there. It doesn't exist. I don't think of him when I wake up. I don't think I'm going to go to bed. I'm not going to align any of my life around him. And when God is absent from your life in this way, you believe that everything is dependent on who? You. It's based on your might. It's based on your power. It's based on your mind and your wisdom and your strength. And you become full of your self. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't manifest its, its way in, in, in such, you know, gross that you can see it. It's got a subtlety to it, you know. You kind of become full of yourself and you're dependent on yourself because you just are more and more absent from the things of God. And all of us need a Daniel in our life to help us restore our sanity. Now, I've told this story before, but it's so good I'm going to tell it again. Muhammad Ali, at the prime of his boxing career, decided to call himself Superman. Okay? You do that when you're prideful and arrogant and when you're the best boxer at the time. He says, hey, I'm, I'm Superman. So one time it said that he was on a tour going to a big boxing match around the world. He got on a plane. And he's sitting in first class on the plane. He's smug. He's sitting back and sees. He's like, yeah, Muhammad Ali. And you know the stewardess comes up. And you know what the, what the stewardess does at the beginning of the flight. You know, it's like all this, you know, you know, 
Uh, you know, they do all this stuff, you know, all of the, you know, get you the, and then they tell you, you know, oh, the bag falls down, put your, put your face mask on before you put it on other people so that you don't die and you can still breathe. And they take the seatbelt and click it, and she'd done all the things. She's walking through first class. Muhammad Ali's sitting there in first class, he's sitting back like, yeah, I'm Muhammad Ali, I'm, I'm Superman. And she knows who he is, and she, she walks up and she says, hey, Mr. Ali, He's like, I really need to put you on your seatbelt. We're, we're, we're taxiing. We're going to take off in just a moment. I need you to put on your seatbelt. He leans back. He says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Stewardess rep- replies back, Superman don't need no plane. Like, put your seatbelt on. <laughs> and she won. <laughs> the reason that we speak the truth is not to prove that we're right. It's to help someone else get right with God. Remember that. You speak the next right thing to them, not to say, oh, I'm better than you. I'm prideful in a Christian way. No. You're doing it to help them get right themselves with God. I love Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Prophet Isaiah says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. It is good news that God is on the throne because we make terrible sovereigns. Can I get an amen on that? We are called to let the world know, and so we speak the truth in love. Last thing this morning. Let people see that you serve a kingdom that doesn't participate in the crazy. Let people see you serve a kingdom that doesn't participate in the crazy. Now let me explain what I mean. In Babylon, insanity was the norm. Everyone worshiping themselves and making life all about them and putting themselves on the throne of the Most High, including their leader, Neb. Babylon is crazy, and they live and accept and normalize crazy. Does this sound like anything we could all relate to today? Are we not hearing and seeing and experiencing some things in our culture that we're like, oh, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy. Oh, no, it's normal. Oh, no, you should like it. Oh, no, you should love it. Oh, no, you should just succumb to it. Oh, we want to reprogram your brain. All of that is completely normal. No, these... This is not something that we treat as normal. This is something that we, we, need, we need counseling. We need help. We need to pray for them. We need to lift them up. We need to take them to the Lord. We need to share the word of God with them. We need to speak the truth and love to them. We need to let them see that we serve a kingdom that does not participate in the craziness. And that we live in such a way that we are not going to cut God out of everything. No, God is the center. God is the most high. And so we revolve our lives and our decisions around him. Sometimes it's these subtle things. We're just going to make ourselves so busy, we ignore God. We're going to change the priority of our life that God is at the bottom. He's down there. I mean, I'm in church today, right? I mean, he's there, but he's not the most high in my life. And we look at these people and you think, man, these people are eccentric. People, people that live this way, the craziness, and, and don't acknowledge God, they're eccentric. Now, if I say the word eccentric, you're probably like, eccentric, okay, I've heard that word, but what do you mean by that? You probably think definition number one of eccentric when I first use it. And this is the definition of eccentric, the first definition, is a person of unconventional and slightly strange views or behavior. We would say, oh, he or she is eccentric. A little bit, woohoo. Right? A little bit strange in their, their behavior and their views. But that's not what I'm meaning here. I'm meaning someone who is eccentric, definition two. 
Definition two says, a thing not placed centrally or not having its access or other part placed centrally. In other words, you are revolving around something that isn't centered. It's off, which will make you wobble and spin and eventually go out of control and what? Crash. And people would build their lives on something that is not centered. Did you ever notice in Revelation, where is God's throne in Revelation? I always picture in Revelation, it's going to be in the back. It's like this big place, and then like all the way in the back, this high and lifted up is God's throne. No, if you read Revelation, the throne is in the center of heaven, and everything revolves around the throne. Why is everything right in heaven? It's because God is the center. Okay? Your life is to be lived in that way, that God is on the throne and he's the center in everything in your life, all of your schedules, everything, all of your morals, all of your values, all of that centers around God because he is on the throne and he is in the center. That's how we're called to live. Even while we're in this earth and in this world, that's what Neb had to learn is God is the highest. He's the most high. He is the center. And it's crazy for you and I to think and live like we are the center. But so many people do. We put ourselves on the throne with like the life and the world revolves around me. That is not the way it's intended to be. And that's why you are feeling off kilter. That's why some of you have spun out onto the wobble and crashed. Because you are not living as if God was on the throne in the center. And when that happens, we succumb to the world when we are on the throne in the center and we give into worldly things. We, we give into worldly pursuits because the world's value system is this. The world's value system is money, intelligence, ability, and beauty. And it's crazy to put those things in the center. But so many people do. There's like money is the center. Everything I do, money, 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 money. Oh, oh, intelligence. I'm just going to read and smart. you got five degrees and you know, Dr. So-and-so and I, all this stuff, you know, and Ability, oh, if I can throw the football a long way, you know, make millions and millions of, I'd be basketball, everyone's kids, everyone's little softball player going to be an all-star, going to, you know, I'm on the wrestling team, oh, I'm going to go in the Olympics, and everyone's, right, every, you know, ability, beauty, oh, man, they're so pretty, and if we just, we can just use that in the culture, and we'll be Hollywood and make millions and make movies, and going to be a rock star, going to be a role model, you know, going to be a model down the, down the runway, and everyone's going to look to them, and we see that, and it's, and it's crazy, it's crazy that we would value those things and put them in the center of our life instead of putting the most high God in the center of our life. And that's what Neb finally got at the end of this chapter. Let me read that last verse to you again. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So who's winning at the game of thrones in your life? Who is or what is the center of your life? And I wonder, if I grabbed your calendar, what would I see as the center of your life? If I grabbed your checkbook or got your bank statement, what would I say is the center of your life? If I could get in your mind and say, what is your attention on all the time. What is the center? If I could get inside your heart and say the heart's affection is always focused on this, what would the center of your heart be?
If I could get behind your eyes and say they're always focused, they're laser focused on this, what is it that is the center of the focus of your life? God is the most high. He's to be the center. Neb got it. And I hope that we can get it too.